kind of quickly recap, but we'll just kind of go back over um, some of the things to catch everybody up on speed. But this week, we're actually going to talk about David's vow. Very exciting. So it's not even in Samuel, um, but we're just going to look at one of the Psalms. Um, but a quick recap. So the life of David, again, why we're studying it, um, God says that he gave David as an example. Right? David is almost this foreshadowing of Christ. And so we look at his life, um, we can see even the shadows, the beginnings of Jesus. Also looking at David, what does God say about David? David is a man after God's own heart, right? And who doesn't want to be a man or woman after God's heart? And so we can get to um, see David's walk through all these different seasons of his life. Um, and I, I like David because uh, David, looking at David, it's like, oh, we can easily see he's not a perfect guy, right? And we'll, we'll see a lot of those things coming up later in, in 2 Samuel. Um, but we can emulate a lot of things that he did well, and that is being after God's heart. And that actually ties right into what we're going to talk about today with Psalm 132. Um, but so far in 1 Samuel, we've been talking about David's life in seasons. So we talk about different cities that he's in, starts in Bethlehem, then ended in kind of in Hebron. And then finally, last week, we talked about, Becca shared a bit about what he was doing when he finally came into the fullness of being king in Jerusalem. All right. So finally, you know, he's anointed king. And just decades later, finally, after even after Samuel's already dead, the guy who anointed him, finally, David comes into the fullness of what he was anointed for, which is to be king of all of Israel. Uh, and so that's where we were kind of last week, first order of business, uh, and Becca talked about what, what David did when he became king. His desire was to take the ark from the edges, right, the edges of the, of the country. Um, it was out in the, they actually say it was out in Kirjath Jerim, which literally means the fields of the woods, all right? So it's in Podunk nowhere, and bringing it from there and bringing it into the center, right, bringing it into the center. But even in the midst of that, um, how important it was to do it rightly uh, before God, to obey his commandments. Because they tried to use some cattle, right? The newest technology, use a cart and bring it in, instead of actually doing what the Lord commanded them, which is to have the priests carry it. And it was such a serious thing that even one of the priests, one of the people sticking out their hands, Uzzah, struck dead. That's the seriousness of what, what God desired for the commandments. But anyways, David brings the ark from the outskirts toward Jerusalem, um, and that's kind of where we are uh, now, okay? So really, David, again, comes into the fullness of his promises, um, and what does he, what does he do? So for the passage today, again, we're not in Samuel, we're going to be reading Psalm 132 about David's vow, and I'd like to invite our passage reader to come forward, Sean, sorry, I've designated him without asking him to be our <laughs> weekly passage reader, so, all right, so he's going to give us the word of the Lord, amen. Usually he tells me about five minutes before. <laughs> I like the spontaneity. Yeah. Okay. If you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 132. All righty, Psalm 132. Lord, remember David and his afflictions, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go into the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephratah, we found it in the fields of the woods. Let us go into his tabernacle. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. For your servant David's sake, do not turn away the face of your anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne fruit of your body, if your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony which I shall teach them. Their sons also shall sit upon your throne forevermore. 
For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will clothe her priests with salvation. And her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. His enemies will clo- I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown shall flourish. Amen. Thank you, Sean. Thanks for that reading. All right, so this is Psalm 132. Uh, and if you guys are open in your Bibles, you can even look and see this is part of one of the Psalms of Ascent. All right, so this whole category of Psalms that it falls into, the Psalms of Ascent. Um, these are Psalms that the uh, Jewish people would read and sing on their pilgrimages three times a year to Jerusalem. All right, so when they're going up to Jerusalem, this is one of those psalms that they would sing. So this is a very important psalm, and, uh, and again, we see here David's desire, all right? Um, and this, his desire, once he's entered into the fullness of the kingdom, we said, all right, we've, we've watched him go from this little shepherd boy in Bethlehem and go through all these trials and tribulations. He's being chased in the wilderness. He's being falsely accused by Saul. Everybody's turned against him. He has to flee the promised land. And then finally, everything that was promised, he comes back and he's anointed fully king. And what does he do first? He puts God at the center, right? I mean, how many of us would do that? Like once you've, all your dreams, everything you've been working for for decades, or you win the lottery. Like people all say like, well, you win the lottery. What are you going to do? Or like, I don't know who watches football. Um, we've got a Washington Commanders fan over here. But like when, when people win the Super Bowl, they're like, what are you going to do? You've like achieved the pinnacle of what you desired. What are you going to do? And all the football players say what? They're going to go to Disneyland, right? Or something like that, or something silly. Or I'm going to go to Disney World. Or, um, or when you win the lottery, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to build myself a nice mansion, right? Or I'm going to do all the things that I wanted to do. What does David decide? When he's, once he's finally got everything that was promised to him, everything that he desired, what was his desire? First order of business, I mean, a lot of people, when they become kings, like, what do we look at through history? They decide they're going to kill all their enemies, right? Like, and there's plenty of even Israel examples of, like, kings later on that, like, when they become king, First thing they do, wipe out all their enemies, right? Or build a palace, or throw a, throw a party, or go to Disney World, or whatever it might be. Whatever we, our desire, it reveals kind of the desires of our heart, right? Like, you've got everything that you need. You've got the money and finances. Do it. What are you going to do? Well, that's going to be revealing of your heart, right? And David's heart was first putting the Lord in the center, putting the Lord in the center, all right? He actually says, remember, remember David in all his afflictions. Like, God, remember all through the, all these difficult things, yet David kept his heart before the Lord, he kept his heart before the Lord, even when it seemed really dark. He was hiding in caves, right? Hiding in caves, the future king of Israel. Um, and all through all those afflictions, though, he kept his heart. And when he finally had everything that he desired or that was promised to him, his first desire was actually to turn that back with thanksgiving to the Lord, right? And what a calling for us, too. Like, even in the midst of difficulties um, or even in the midst of, of peaks of when we're in the valleys and when we're on the, the mountaintops, to remember the Lord first, remembering the Lord, right? And so David says his desire, his desire was not that, wow, he's king now. He gets to move into the big palace. He gets to do whatever he wants. He actually says, no, I'm not going to embrace any comfort until first I do for, for the Lord, right? Do for the Lord first, all right? Um, and I'm challenged by that to think, wow, is my heart in that same place? To know the Lord's heart, to not think about first my own desires or my own callings or things like that. What is the Lord doing? Right? David sought to bring the ark back to the rightful place, which is the center. Not my desires, not what's important on my heart, but what is on God's heart. All right? And how did he know to do this? Because, again, the Bible tells us he was a man after God's own heart. Right? He knew God's heart. He knew God's heart. And that's the key of this whole psalm, Psalm 132. And that's the key for us in our prayer lives when we pray. 
like oftentimes, you know, it's easy to pray like, oh God, like help me in my, you know, this, this is my desire, like what I want to happen, what I want to do. But actually the key of desire is, God, what is on your heart, right? The key of prayer, knowing what is on the Lord's heart. And that part of knowing what's on his heart is having that sort of relationship with him, all right? Um, and so David actually enters, not only does he ask the Lord what's on his heart, he says, I'm going to give you, God, whatever's on your heart. I promise it. Before I enjoy anything, I wanna, I'm going to enter into this covenant. He actually enters into a promise. He makes a vow, a vow that changes everything, all right, a vow that changes everything. Um, and we've been actually talking a little bit about vows and covenants uh, on Friday nights. Just a quick plug for Friday nights. If you guys are available Friday nights, we're doing what we call skit nights, which is SKT, some kind of teaching. But this next two months, we're talking about Israel. And, and this past Friday, we started talking about Israel is by talking about promises and covenants. Okay? And David himself actually enters into a covenant with God. He makes a promise to the Lord. He says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to find a dwelling place, a dwelling place for you. Okay? Um, and God was pleased by this because God uh, knows David's heart, right? God knows David's heart. He sees that David's a man after his own heart, all right? And if you look at this promise, again, I'm not going to go into the chamber of my house. I will not give the comfort of my bed or sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of, of God. You know, initially, it sounds like a beautiful thing, but when you look at it even more closely, it's kind of a ridiculous promise, right? It's kind of a ridiculous promise. Like, uh, the Bible tells us, like, God, his dwelling place, oh, sorry, this is the covenant, like, God says, heaven is his, like, his throne, the earth is my footstool, right, like, God, this is the God of the universe, and so it's kind of almost just like, um, you know, imagine if, like, Elon Musk was here, and I was like, Elon, hey, it's great to meet you, man, like, what do I, like, I really like you a lot, I love your cars, well, I, I want to do something for you, I'm going to build you a house, right, like, yeah, build, or build you a car, an even better example, <laughs> Like, how ridiculous would that be, right? First of all, Elon Musk is like a bajillion times richer than I am, right? Like, it's like, what kind of thing could I possibly build for him? Like, what could I possibly do for him? It'd be a ridiculous kind of offer, right? Like, there's nothing that I have that I can offer Elon Musk that would be of any interest to him because he can do whatever he wants, you know? Um, he's, a, he's a tough guy to do something for. But imagine instead if, um, imagine instead if your, your child came to you um, like Kim's got a lot of kids. Like, what if a kid there, Kim, your kid went to you and was like, mom, like, I want to make you breakfast, right? Like, I want to make you breakfast. Is that breakfast going to be very good? Like from a, a, a food standpoint, probably not. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe your kid is really good at cooking or something, but like all parents here, I think would recognize that like, man, if your little kid, like, you know, elementary kid wants to bake you or make you breakfast, it probably is not going to be something you're going to like, you know, invite people over to enjoy, right? It might, might be cereal. But what it means to you is, is so much better because it's from your child that loves you and you see the beauty of their heart, right? And giving to you. And how much more valuable that would be than even the Michelin star food of the world, right? Because it's your kid that wanted to do that for you because of the love that they have for you, right? So same thing, like I can offer Elon Musk something and he'd just be like, whatever, dude. Like you, <laughs> you're like, you can't buy anything for me. And the same way, like David's offering to God and God, everything belongs to him. You know, the Bible says there, the Bible says um, uh, that you could burn all the, the trees of Lebanon. You could kill and sacrifice all the cows uh, in, in all Israel. It wouldn't be enough to give to God. And it already belongs to him anyways, right? Like, even if Kim's uh, kids make her breakfast, uh, Kim probably bought that breakfast food, right? It's hers to begin with, right? But the beauty of it is the heart, because God sees the heart, right? And God sees David's heart, and David knows God's heart. And so this, this vow moves God's heart. It's the intent, 
That's the intent. All right. And, uh, and, and God even says even beyond his desire, he looks to the heart. Even later on in Isaiah 60, 66, verse 2, the one that I look at, he is humble and contrite in spirit. God isn't looking for the outward things. Even though those are important, those are good things. He's looking for the heart. Later on in Psalm 51, uh, David writes the same thing. He says, it's not the sacrifices that you delight in, but you're actually looking for a broken and contrite heart. Right? God looks for the heart. God looks for the heart. All right. <clears throat> Psalm 132, uh, going back to Psalm 132, the next section of it, again, David's talking about finding the ark and how it breaks his heart. The ark is on the outskirts, as Becca talked about last week. And, uh, and a quick plug for, like, you know, Becca's message from last week. We've got it on Spotify. Go look at it but, uh, and listen to it. Um, and you can look it up on any podcast uh, thing. But basically, the idea that, like, the Israelite people had put God out on the fringes, out on the fringes, how much that... That broke David's heart. He said, we heard it was in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of the woods. Remember, fields of the wood was, was Kirith-Jerim. All right? And his, he gathers, uh, as Becca, Becca talked about last week, 30,000 people to celebrate in Jerusalem. All right? So this celebration wasn't about him becoming king. It wasn't about him having victory over his enemies. The celebration was about God coming back to the center, bringing God back into the center of everything. All right? Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. All right? Let your, uh, you and the ark of your strength, let your priests be clothed with righteousness. Let your saints shout for joy. For your servant David's sake, do not turn away the face of your anointed. Right. Again, in the height of everything that he wanted, he again made it about God, not about him. All right. He made it about building God's house, not about his own house. And what was God's response to that? God's response wasn't, in other places when people have offered you know, sacrifices, God says, you know, I don't need your sacrifices or things like that. But actually, in this context, David, for David, God sees David's heart, and his response to him is, there's no way that you can build me like anything that I'm deserving of, but because I see your heart, I'm going to build you a house, right? I'm going to build your house, all right? Um, so the Lord has sworn in truth to David, he will not turn from it. I will set upon your throne the fruit of your body. If your sons keep my commandments, uh, my covenant, and my testimony, which I shall teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forever, all right? Again, going back to the Kim analogy of her and her kids, you know, her kids are like, I'm going to make you breakfast. And she's so moved by that. She's like, you know what? I'm going to take you guys out to your favorite, whatever their favorite breakfast is, probably McDonald's or something like that, right? Well, anyways, like, I'm going to do something for you because I see your heart and I love you. Okay? Um, and that's the God's response to David because David was a man after his own heart. The, the, and, uh, and just so how important it was that da God saw that in David because David, again, put the Lord at the center. All right. The ending of Psalm 132 is this, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation. And her saints shall shout for aloud for joy. And there I'll make the horn of David grow. I'll prepare a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I'll clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown shall flourish. All right. Uh, David, again, going back to, I want to tie everything into to prayer, to tie everything to prayer. And as people prayer, and this is a house prayer, if you didn't know, I know we don't have a sign, but we're house prayer, and we want to focus everything on, on, on prayer. David's prayers in the Psalms are, are some of the best bases from which we can pray. And David made this vow and the key of it was, again, going back to knowing God's heart. And going back to that idea of when we pray, our prayers are powerful. We pray not from our own hearts and desires, but praying from God's hearts and desires and knowing his heart to do it. All right. And uh, 
And so David knew that key, that key to prayer, knowing God's heart. And God's desire to dwell, to have a dwelling place, not just to have a place, right? Because again, the heavens are his tabernacle. Like He can build the most amazing house ever. What makes the, um, David's desire so special and knowing God's heart was that David understood not only does God want a dwelling place, he wants to dwell with the people he loves. Right? He wants to dwell with us. Right? It's not just having a dwelling place, but it's actually having a dwelling place with us. Uh, you know, the desire we were talking about uh, when we we're talking about Israel on Friday night, uh, we talked a little bit about the covenants helping us keep a picture of the whole Bible, right? Sometimes we easily see, like, focus on some trees and we lose a picture of the, the whole forest. The whole forest in the Bible is this, this idea that God wants to dwell with man, and the covenants are the framework with it. The garden, from, the, from the Garden of Eden, all right, to the end of the book, that's been God's desire, is not just to have a dwelling place. The Garden of Eden was amazing, right? It's supposed to be like the most beautiful thing ever. But what God really desired was to enjoy that with Adam and Eve, right? Enjoy it with the people that he loved. That's the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden in Genesis, and even the end of the book, the end of the story, is God is going to do it again. He's going to dwell with man. Revelation, the millennial kingdom, his desire, he's going to have it, is to dwell with man, all right? To have a dwelling place, all right? To dwell with his loved ones, to be with his family. Um, Jesus even says this, um, and is partly fulfilled in Jesus's promises. High priestly prayer. Uh, a lot of us know this passage in John chapter fourteen, uh, and Jesus says this to um, this to the, his disciples: "A little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live; you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me." And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, uh, not, the, not the bad Judas, but the other Judas, okay? He asked this great question that I think probably a lot of us would ask. He's like, what are you talking about, right? Their expectation was Jesus is already there to live with them forever, right? He's the Messiah, he's coming, and they don't really understand that he has to die and he has to go. Um, and then so he asked, wait, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me, and the word which you hear is, uh, he who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. All right? So Jesus, in this high priestly, this is before his high priestly prayer, but Jesus talking to his disciples about what his desire is. His desire is to have a dwelling place, right? To dwell with us, to dwell with man, to be with us. He even says, um, earlier in Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 through 21, a scribe says, I'm going to follow you everywhere. And Jesus says, I don't actually, the son of man has no place to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus looking for a place to dwell with man. And part of that is, in Ephesians 2.22, Paul says, part of that is, he dwells in our hearts, right? I mean, who knows in little Sunday school when you... The, the kids come to, you know, and like, the little teacher's like, hey, do you want to receive Jesus into your heart to come and dwell in your heart? And the kid's like, yeah, I want to have Jesus dwelling in my heart. Ephesians 2.22, in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. All right? So Jesus dwelling in our hearts by the Spirit, dwelling, finding a dwelling place spiritually in us right now, right? Right now. But even as we were talking about also on Friday, the kingdom that of heaven is now, but it's also not yet. The spiritual aspect of it is, yes, Jesus is dwelling in our hearts, kingdom now, but also the kingdom is not yet. And the promise is that he will physically dwell with us, right? So right now, Jesus dwells with us, yes and amen, by his spirit in our hearts. 
but one day he's going to physically dwell with us and rule and reign in Jerusalem. That's the promise that he gave to David in response to David's vow, right? David's desire was that he would have a dwelling place, dwelling place physically to come and be with his people. And that's been God's desire from the beginning, dwelling with his people. That's the now and not yet kingdom, all right? That's the now and not yet kingdom. Um, and I'm challenged by that in wondering, is that our heart as well? Do we long for Jesus to return? Do we know God's heart and his desire to be a dwelling place, uh, to have a dwelling place where he dwells with us? I think that's the beauty of the whole picture of the Bible, right? From the beginning, there's a song that I love, um, and it's like, I, I was made to walk in the cool of, of the day with you, right? That's our, that we were made to dwell with God, to walk in the garden with him, to be with him physically. And even though, again, the beauty of it is a spiritual part of it that Jesus dwells in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, the fullness of it is not yet. And that's the, the heart of the Maranatha cry, the Maranatha cry that Jesus would come back to dwell physically with us, even though we have his spirit now. That's what he was promising the disciples in that high priestly prayer, that we have his spirit for now, but he's preparing a place for us, preparing a home for us where he'll dwell with us. And that's the end of the story. Right? That's the end of the story of Revelation. Um, you know, do we long for that day when the, he comes to physically dwell with us? Um, and that's really where the home is, right? I, you know, uh, a couple years back, my, my dad passed away pretty suddenly. And uh, somebody was asking me, uh, maybe a year or two afterwards, like, you know, how I was doing and, and what kind of I felt. And, you know, like the day-to-day kind of grief of missing him, you know, fades a little bit. Um, but, you know, about a year or two afterwards, the, the most predominant feeling I felt um, was homesick. I felt homesick. Um, being in the house, uh, and it's weird because you feel homesick, but you're actually in that same house. So you're like in the house that you grew up in, but you still feel homesick. I don't know if anybody else has, has kind of been through that. Um, and if ever of you traveled or been, been away for a long time, you get that feeling, right? Like you've been gone for a couple months or even a year, and you're like, man, I really want to go home. Um, but that homesick feeling actually still persisted for me, even though I was still at, I was at home. I was like, you know, back at my parents' house, like with my mom there. But because my dad wasn't there, I still felt homesick. Um, and that's the feeling that we have. That's that Maranatha cry feeling, right? Because the home is not just the dwelling place, but it's actually being with the people that you love, all right? And so for God and for Jesus, his longing and desire is not a temple physical building, all right? Not just to, to rule and reign from Zion, but to actually do it with the people that he loves, right? The Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve were out of it, God wasn't walking around in there by himself anymore, right? He's not walking around in the Garden of Eden by himself, right? His desire was for that beautiful place to be shared with the ones that he loves. And it's empty until he does. Right? It's empty until he does. And Jesus, even though he's removed from us now and he dwells in our hearts, our longing for him, that Maranatha cry, is unto him coming back. And that's that homesick cry. The Maranatha cry is a homesick cry. That Jesus, I know you're here with me by your spirit, but I still long and long for the day. Spirit and the bride say, come, Lord Jesus, come back. Come back for us. And for us to have that heart and know that desire of God allows us to pray into it, right? Allows us to pray into it and to have that Maranatha cry. And to understand the desire for his return. You know, I think that's the crux of what we've been studying some end times. And, and some of you have joined us in studying the end times. And, and Israel is part of that picture. And, and somebody once asked me, you know, like, wow, how can you pray for, for God, you know, for Jesus to return when there's all this terrible stuff that's got to happen first? You know, it's just, it seems wrong to, to pray for that. And, you know, um, the example that Jesus talks about is, is birth pains, right, birth pains. And for those of you, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have any kids, but for parents that have had kids, especially for mothers, right, I mean, they're, they're, you're doing the hard part, but when you go through a birth, through birth, like, that's like the most painful experience that you can go through, right? But 
a woman will gladly go through that for the joy set before her, right? It's not about that, that birth process, that, that pain there. They're looking for the joy of the child, right? The joy of the child. And I think most, I, any mother in this room would raise her hand and say, I would do that for my child because of the joy set before us. And the same thing, when we, we desire and love that person, when we love Jesus, we're going to walk through those birth pains, and it's going to be worth it. I love that song. It's going to be worth it in the end. When I look at your face, it's going to be worth it. So no matter those trials that we go through, if we have that homesick feeling to have to, for God to have what his desire is to dwell with us, we can walk through any fire. Right? We can walk through any fire. And the same thing in Psalm 132. David, remembering all those tribulations that he walked through, the rejection, the false accusation, running in the wilderness, he could endure all that because of this joy set before him. And he knew that he was going to be able to build uh, a dwelling place for the Lord, all right? A dwelling place for the Lord. And so uh, I want to enter into a, a time of prayer uh, for that, if my sister can come up. But a couple of things to, to fuel our prayer. And again, I want to plug, again, as a place of prayer, as a house of prayer, um, our desire is to turn all these things into a conversation with the Lord. And during the week, um, many of you guys have joined us Monday through Friday in the mornings and the evenings. But I invite uh, anybody who hasn't, please come and join us in prayer. You know, we want to be a house of prayer, and God says his church will be a house of prayer, right, um, before he returns. And so these are the things that I think we can look at this story at Psalm 132 and pray into during this week and even spend some time right now praying. But first and foremost is that we could be like David, be men and women after his heart, right, to know God's longing and desires. It's okay to pray for things that, that are on our hearts, and God gives us those things, but even more powerful is to pray what's on God's heart, right? And David was able to do that because of the intimacy that he had with the Lord. And so in this week, and even right now, I encourage all of us to pray into that. God, make us like David. Make us like David. That even when we have everything we want, or even when we are being chased and falsely accused, that first and foremost, our hearts would be about you, right? What your desire is. Number two is obedience over sacrifice. Again, kind of like that example of Elon Musk. Like, there's nothing that we can give to the Lord that's not already his, all the sacrifices that we give, um, anything that we, you know, purchase. I, I was talking to a guy the other day and uh, a friend um, and trying to counsel him through th some things. And he's really, look, you know, looking, uh, looking for a job. And he's like, man, if I could only just get this one job, I'd be able to give a lot of money to the church and, you know, be able to do all these things. And I was like, I, I think God would just love that. Like, if you just, like, came and sat with him and prayed with, <laughs> prayed with him, you know, <laughs> like, join the body of believers. Like, it's great that you want to, like, you know, give money to the church or to, to help people, but I think first and foremost, God wants your heart, right? Obedience over sacrifice. Right? God wants the heart. God wants the heart. Um, the same thing with David. You know, he messed up over and over again, but God saw his heart. The same, same thing. So prayer point two, that we could become people like David where our hearts are after him. So that even when we screw up or even when we mess up or even if we don't accomplish what the things that we think we want to accomplish for God, he sees our hearts, that we have pure hearts, clean hands in action, but purity of heart even more. All right. And lastly, that Maranatha desire, that homesick desire, that we would be a people that long for his return, that God would dwell with man. And we talked about the beginning of the story is the Garden of Eden, God dwelling with man. At the end of the story, again, God's promises, Revelation 21.3, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. That's the Psalm 132 desire. That's David's promise. That's David's vow right there. And God's going to finish it at the end, end of the story in Revelation. That's the desire of God's heart, and David knew it. Right? 
So let's pray that, that God would come and find his home with us spiritually, but also physically, that one day he will dwell with us and we'll dwell with him. Because that's been his desire from the beginning, and he's going to do it. All right. So let's spend a couple minutes and just pray into those things. If you would gather just groups of two or three around you, um, those three prayer points, let's just spend a few minutes responding to this Psalm 132 and praying that before the Lord. So I encourage you, gather with a couple around you, um, and let's pray this.